Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is Scott Cantrell, joined by a new friend of mine, Carrie Lynn Larson. I'm really, really excited to have uh, Carrie Lynn with us. Uh, Carrie Lynn is the author of the book, The Coaching Companion. She is an independent coach and consultant who helps leaders maximize their effectiveness and address individual and business challenges and goals. Uh, Carrie Lynn, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Really excited to be uh, talking with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's let's start at the beginning. Um, if, if you're like most of the people that I've interviewed on the podcast and, and like myself, your career was not a straight line. Uh, it was, uh, you did a lot of different things. Um, and so tell us about that. Tell us about how you, how you ended up being in this role of someone who works exclusively or maybe not exclusively, but works a lot with leaders in terms of helping them uh, be better leaders and build stronger, better organizations. How did you get to that point? Sure. Yeah. You know, I've always been absolutely fascinated with psychology and with really the way that people think with neurology and with the implications for leadership and for teamwork. And some of the leadership teamwork type experience for me was with sports. It was in running cross country and running track, which are interesting sports because you both have an individual competition element of it, but also Mm -hmm. a team competition element of it. And a lot of teamwork goes into it. And so as an undergrad, I was studying psychology and biological psychology. Uh, I was influenced by a dad who was a behavioral neurobiologist. So that was very much a research type position. And I was fortunate enough to get a National Science Foundation um, as part of a program called Research Education, uh, Research Experiences, rather, for undergraduates, and went to the University of Florida and was doing more of sort of the cognitive psychology, neurology type research and recognized that I was far too social for that. So basically something I feel like I should have known you know, growing up in a household with a dad who was a serious research scientist, that I, I needed more sort of daily interaction and engagement with people. Mm-hmm. And that's really the point where I saw the intersection between psychology and leadership and psychology and team dynamics. And so I ended up in a doctoral program for industrial organizational psychology, really studying under someone who specialized in both leadership and team dynamics. So that felt like a super perfect fit. And then my career was also heavily influenced by 9-11. And we are recording this on September 8th. So 9-11 is also top of mind for a lot of people. It's almost the 20th anniversary. Right. And so the lab that I was a part of, the research lab, did a lot of work with the Army and a lot of work with the Air Force Mm -hmm. and helped them post 9-11 really think about and research what makes leaders adaptable and what makes teams adaptable, be able to come together very quickly and be cohesive and understand, you know, what they were doing together in a very new type of warfare. And so that had a huge influence on my career. Gotcha. And then from there, um, you, did, did you just start on your, from there, did you just start on your own, your consulting firm and your coaching practice? What were the steps that led you to becoming an entrepreneur uh, in this world? 
Yeah, that's a great question too. So for one, I'll say I was, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So it's funny that you ask that because I, even in graduate school, I started a company where I did some ad hoc consulting work for a couple of companies, one of Mm -hmm. which was started by my brother. Um, And then I also founded a nonprofit that's here in the DC area. So I I definitely have a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in me, but I didn't. I spent 15 years, my first 15 years of my career actually embedded within organizations. Yeah. The first was an organization that served federal agencies. And so I got to consult among some of you know, the biggest employers of people in this country. And then after serving you know, and getting a, just a huge variety of experiences across mm-hmm. different cultures, right? But, the culture of the Department of Education is very, very different than the Department of Transportation. <laughs> no doubt, department. right? Those yeah, totally different fields. I came and worked um, for the National Science Foundation for about mm-hmm. ten years, and there served as an internal consultant, really serving that organization and working with senior leadership there to implement executive development programs and coaching programs. And that's where I intersected with coaching. So, gotcha. yeah, it, mm-hmm. that was a huge turning point for me because I realized that not only could I have an impact programmatically, but I could have an impact personally. Yes. Yep. And that was incredibly fulfilling. And mm-hmm. so I got another degree in addition to my doctorate. Didn't think I'd do that. Uh, <laughs> became certified as a leadership coach. And that's really where my, my personal practice sort of launched from that moment of being able to work with people one-on-one. That's excellent. That's excellent. And when was that? When did you go out on your own? I started my company in 2013. I can always okay. tag that with the year that my son was born, because I used it as a bit of a launch point. That's great. Yep. Yeah. So it's been, wow, eight years now. Kind of crazy. It it goes fast. It goes way too fast. Um, No, thank you for sharing that, because I think it's really important for everyone to hear these stories, uh, because we all find ourselves in in the same universe in terms of leveraging uh, a specialty skill or knowledge or our own level of expertise in some way to contribute value to our clients, whether they be, um, you know, organizations or whether they be businesses or whether they be individuals or some combination thereof. And it's always interesting for me to hear how people ended up where they are. You know, we all find ourselves in the same in the same universe. We may be doing very different things for very different people, but we're we're applying ourselves to try to use our own skill, knowledge, expertise to positively impact someone else. And that's rarely does someone, you know, as a kid, I I didn't, when I was seven years old, I wasn't running around with the, with the notebook uh, and the pen asking people consultative questions saying, I'm going to be a consultant when I grow up. It just wasn't, uh, wasn't what happened. And so it's always interesting to hear how people end up in this place, because I think it does take a special um, well, I think it takes a special mentality. I think it takes a special passion to do it. Uh, it's easy for me to say since I'm of <laughs> cut of that cloth, but, but, um, maybe, maybe it takes the level of insanity too. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> but, 
but we're all in this together. And thank you for sharing your background. I think it's, I think it's great. You know, one of the things that really struck me when we first met and we were having our conversation was your focus on, uh, and this kind of gets into the next question I want to ask was your focus on the psychology, the psychology part of everything, right. Uh, where so many, you know, self-proclaimed gurus who write leadership books. I'm not saying they don't have value. Many of them do, and they're great. But there's ra- rarely are there scientific driven and data driven views of certain leadership principles that we might read in the in the latest, you know, business leadership book. So the question I have, and, and you maybe you can work some of this into the answer. The question I have for you is tell us a little about who you serve now, who who the types of clients are that you work with. And what you're doing for them, and and maybe through that weave in, um, we weave in this concept of the science of leadership because that isn't something that a lot of people talk about, right? A lot of people talk about leadership from the trenches and the practical approaches, and all of that has a place, but that comes from somewhere, right? It comes from it comes from you know human quality and human experience. And that's that can be studied and observed and managed scientifically as well. So tell us about who you serve and, and how you work with them. What does that look like? Yeah, it really can. So I guess, yes, I'll start with the direct question, which is, you know, I work at a very high level. I work with leaders. I work primarily with scientific leaders. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes technical leaders, people who are in the fields, you know, IT, computer science, engineering, et cetera. And just, it's not that I won't work with someone who is a banker or right in some other field yeah. that just, those just tend to be my clients, sure. uh, scientists, engineers, they gravitate towards me. Maybe it's because I have a PhD. And so that gives me some sort of magical credibility. With that. <laughs> um, but, and I do think it ties in actually with your question about the science of leadership. And I, right. I take a very data-driven approach. And so the science of leadership is embedded in a lot of a lot of fields. And you'll find it, it, it's home, probably its home base is in the domain of organizational psychology. Right? That's right. a thing. That's a whole field out there mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it, uh, employs a, a lot of people. And so people who uh, have degrees in organizational psychology are always l- looking for ways to actually understand how leadership works from a data-driven perspective, right? What makes a great leader? What makes, what are, once you boil down sort of the characteristics of leadership, then how do you measure those things? How do you develop right. those attributes in people? Um, you know, generally speaking, we would say that leadership is something you do. It's not necessarily a position that you hold. And so if it's something you do, then you need to be able to do it better and better and better and evolve your leadership over time. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a ton of great insights into leadership in the fields of behavioral science and cognitive psychology. And even as I mentioned back my original passion for neurology. There is a yeah. neuro leadership institute right wow. now that was okay. not in existence when I uh, started my doctoral program. And so the, really there's lots of efforts to connect things like the way that our brain works, right? The way that we uh, manage our emotions, the way that we connect with people, empathy, mm-hmm. um, 
even to, you can even get as practical as time management and sure. connect that to leadership. That's good. Um, and so your work revolves around any or all of that, right? You'll, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm imagining is you work with an individual or a team of individual leaders within an organization. And your job is to, is to do exactly what you said, right? Um, where are you performing? How, how are you leading now? Where are you performing well now? Uh, and, and what are your challenge? What are your perceived challenges? Uh, what are your uh, real challenges? Uh, and then how can I, how can I take what I have learned and the science behind leadership and empower you to do even better uh, tomorrow and the next day? Absolutely. Right. Okay. So, so part of being an expert in anything, um, mm-hmm. you know, part of being a doctor, part of being a lawyer, part of being sort of having that expertise is just having more distinctions than the people that you serve. And so mm. you know, part of being a coach and a bit of a leadership guru is that I have lots of distinctions. And so people will share with me, well, this is sort of what's going on for me, right? And yeah. this is what I wish was going on for me. And I see a major part of my role is to help them put language around that, because once you can name it, then you can do something with it. That's really interesting. So um, you're using this word distinction, and I hadn't really thought of it in that way before, but correct me if I'm way off base here, and I may be. Um, But when I hear you say distinction and then talking about naming this issue, whatever this nebulous issue is that someone is experiencing and they can't place it. What I'm hearing you say is, is the, the breadth and depth of your knowledge, the allows you to, to be able to have pattern recognition uh, for that issue or challenge in such a way that you, you've seen it before, you can help them put words to it and name it. And now you know how to address it is, is, is that the, is that to the definition of distinction in terms of what you mean? You're able to distinguish what things are happening, you know, diagnose things more competently. Yeah, because I think of that's all a great experience. way to put it. And okay. a philosophy of coaching is that you put things out there to people, and if you got it right, they'll tell you, right? So most if if I say like. Okay, this is what I hear you saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Put words around something. Then I'm not I'm not trying to tell people what's wrong, right? right? I am trying to help them understand what's wrong. But it's so interesting, even if it's sort of a hard truth, what I find is that when you when you are able to really describe something in words that make sense that my clients will say, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's, that's precisely what's going on here. Yeah. That's good. Like I said, you can do something with it. No, I I like that a lot. And so it's more than just um, to, to use the doctor metaphor, it's more than just a diagnosis, right? Because, you know, in terms of uh, me going to a doctor, if something's wrong, I can, I can usually point it hurts here or it hurts here or, or wherever. And the doctor will ask me a series of diagnostic questions and they'll tell me what's wrong. The best ones will, will do what you said. And that is a three words, help me understand. Um, as opposed to just saying, this is what's wrong with you. Go take this medicine, come back in two weeks, or here's the treatment plan. And it, and it just, it's just a prescription. It's just a prescription of, of do this, do this, do this. You're, you're fine. 
or do this, do this, do this, and we'll check. Um, it is truly meeting them where they are and helping them truly understand their issue so that they're bought into uh, presumptively so that they're bought into the prescription that you will ultimately share with them or work together with them to create. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great analogy. It's actually really funny to think about that because I, I don't know about you, you might be a better person than I, but so many times that doctors have told me things to do, (laughs) it's rare that I actually do them. Yeah. I was at the dentist the other day and, and they're saying, you've got to floss every day. And I'm laughing at the guy. I'm like, yeah, right. I have a water pick. That's as close as I'm coming. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I wish I could honestly look at you through the camera and say, I'm a better person than you. I am not. Uh, I, I also find my, my areas of non-compliance, um, you know, and, and so what I'm where, where you were going was, you know, this world of coaching and consulting that we're in um, may not be that different. It's different in many, many ways, of course, but from a practical standpoint, a coaching client may not be too different from a doctor's patient in that there are often high levels of non-compliance from time to time, depending on who you're working with, right? Certain people will uh, gladly take the prescription and run with it and do exactly what you say and and they'll follow the regiment and they're usually the ones that have the best results. And then other people, maybe like you or I, at least related to the to the doctor side of things, will be like, oh, that sounds nice. No, I'm good. Um, I, I will do it for three days and then stop doing it. And, you know, yeah. I'll have to be told a few more times. Well, but, yeah, um, let me expand on that for a second. Sure. So, what's interesting there is, and now we're getting into a commentary on doctors. So for any doctors listening, apologize in advance. Yeah. But it might it might just be that the field of coaching is uh, a little bit further forward than the field of medicine when it comes to partnership and when it comes to co-creating. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Forward. So as coaches, we are very heavily invested in, in the idea of partnership and the idea of this is not my prescription for you, yeah. right? It is, here's, here's my hypothesis, right? Does that hypothesis sound correct? And to the extent that you agree with that hypothesis, I'm going to put it on you to define what you want to do with it. And I'll be happy to be a thought partner and I can offer some tools and I can offer some ideas, but in the end, you're the one that writes that prescription for yourself. Yeah. And and that's really how coaching works. And I will say that there is a education of, uh, in the coaching world, I think that there is a need to do a better job educating our clients on how they can get the most out of coaching, Mm -hmm. which is why Daniel and I wrote the coaching companion in the first place is that it really helps people understand if I'm going to invest in coaching, how do I get the most out of it as possible? It's not just a financial investment. It's an investment of time. And that's probably actually the biggest piece of it for people Uh, is their time. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I firmly agree and would vehemently debate uh, anyone that would argue against the fact that the that the highest cost of a coaching relationship is time and that swings both ways right it's the highest investment for the coach it's also the highest investment for the the patient the client uh and you know i think what you're talking about here is really really important i hadn't thought about this this way until you mentioned it but I think in a lot of ways, uh, the best coaches are further along 
uh, and I'm not, I'm not lumping myself into that group. Uh, but, but I think the best coaches and I work with one of them, um, myself and it, and he is always very explicit and clear with me from, from before we ever started working together, that the way that this is going to be valuable. Yes. I'll bring value. Yes. I'll give guidance. Yes. I'll help you hypothesize. Yes. I'll be a partner. Yes. I'll be a co-creator. Yes. I'll help hold you accountable. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's ultimately up to you and you will get out. It may sound cliche, but it's so true. You will get out of this relationship, what you are willing to put in um, and, and likely a multiple of that, if you're willing to put in enough. But if you see it as just checking a box, I need a coach. Everybody's got a coach. I would, I know I'll do better if I have a coach. So I'm just going to get a coach. Uh, and every, it doesn't matter who I work with or the type of coach I work with. I just got to have, you know, if it's that type of mentality, then I think that that individual is, um, it may be better than nothing. Um, but I think they're missing the whole point of the, of the interaction and the nature of, of the relationship. So, you know, I know that's somewhat off, off of our, uh, main road here, but it's an incredibly valuable point that you're making, um, a coach in, in the traditional classic sense, a coach is not a doctor in that way, because oftentimes we do go to the doctor and we didn't go to medical school. We don't have the knowledge base that they have. And we are looking to them to simply tell us what to do. Now, if we can understand it all the better, right? And we're more likely to be compliant with a stronger understanding of the reward of compliance and, and also understanding the pain or consequence of non-compliance. So there is an educational piece there. But for a coach, you're right. Our, our job often is not do this, do this, do this. You're right. It, it, and it cannot be that because it's up to the person <laughs> to to make that work for themselves. I think that's a really important point. And I hope everybody out there listening and watching is assimilating that in their own world. And, and I would even take that so far. And I'd love to get your insight on this too, Carrie. But I would even take that so far as we're using the word coach. But I think so often that would also maybe not in every situation, but often that would apply to um someone who predominantly thinks of themselves as a consultant as well. Um, in many cases, sometimes the consultant's job maybe is true prescription, more like a doctor, you know, cut, cut, you know, clear cut. But so often consultants really are playing the role of coach. Um, and I think it's important to understand that there is a distinction between those two words, coach and consultant, and knowing when you are, you know, knowing what role you are playing with a client. Uh, and knowing what role they expect you to play is really vital. So let me, let's go, let's take this one more step. So when you're working with an individual, especially someone who's probably at, you know, uh, in a leadership position, right? Uh, which is who you work with. When you're working with something, someone like that, how do you set the table when you're engaging in that coaching relationship or maybe even prior to when it's formalized? How do you get, clarity between roles and responsibilities. You know, how do you tell that individual who is an accomplished leader in their own right, right? They know they need help and they know they can do better, but they're obviously an accomplished individual. How do you get clarity with them or manage their expectations in terms of, listen, this is what I can do for you, but here's here's where I, I stop and here's where you have to pick up in order for this to be a meaningful, valuable, you know, working relationship. 
what kind of conversation do you have in that way to, to help them get clarity in terms of working with you? Sure. Yeah. You know, and I think there are some, I'll answer in this way. I think there are some baseline mm-hmm. sort of expectations that you're describing and that your coach did with you, right? It's right. the generic statement of the cliche of you'll get as much into this as out of this as you put in. Right. And my generic sort of baseline standards are to show up with a idea of what you want to get out of any given coaching session. One of my baseline standards is to give me a, uh, a check in with me. I, just, I don't call it a report, right? I don't want a formal report, but I do want my clients to check in with me in between coaching sessions and let me know how the things that they said they were going to do are going for them. And I certainly want an update before the, before our coaching session to give me a sense of what's working, what's not, what impact are the changes they're making already having, where are they feeling like they're not making any progress, they're they're not making any breakthroughs. But that's just the baseline. I mean, honestly, a lot of my colleague Daniel Sherris and I's work with the coaching companion has been to sort of bust that door open mm. and give clients direct access to some of the sort of science of coaching, right? Mm. How is it that coaching has an impact? And when you can make that really easily accessible, mm-hmm. clients will often start to work ahead of you as a coach. I don't want my clients to be following my lead. I want them to be working ahead of me. Wow. And so with the coaching companion, I mean, we just have very sort of quick little videos and quick tips on um, identifying what's in your realm of influence. It's just such an easy example, right? Classic Stephen Covey, fabulous concept, very core to coaching. So with any given thing, what's in your, your realm of influence and how, if I feel like something is outside of my influence, right? What assumptions am I making there, right? How could I actually expand my realm of influence? Or if I want feedback on something, how do I go get that feedback? Do Mm -hmm. I really have to wait for a coaching session to go get feedback? (laughs) I don't think so. That's perfectly, right, within any of my clients' realm of possibility. And so I want my clients to start to work ahead. And you'd be, I think, most coaches would be floored at how much their clients will go and do without them. Mm-hmm. If they simply give them some ideas, like some inspiration and nudge them, it's almost like give them permission to just yeah. go and do wow. it. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. And I, I'm glad we took, I won't even call it a detour. Uh, you know, this, <laughs> uh, for me, this is, uh, it, I think somewhat of a realization when it comes to coaching. And I do, I do a fair share of coaching on the business development side of my business where I may not be um, usually with a, with a client that I've completed a project for and I stay on in a coaching capacity. And this is, this is very enlightening for me because I hadn't thought about it in these terms before. And I've got already a page and a half of notes uh, from our conversation. So this is incredibly helpful. Um, Let's let's go uh, slightly tangent to where we've been talking because and and honestly, I'm a marketing guy, so I'm always thinking in terms of value proposition and so forth. You know what you're describing, what, the conversation we just had 
uh, and your note about you know you have these interest you know these uh, this ability to to give people this uh, have these distinctions and help people really name what their issues are that is an incredibly compelling value proposition for you as a coach, not to mention your past successes, your credibility, your background, your history, your knowledge, all of that. Tell us about, uh, and you, you and I briefly talked about this on our last conversation. Tell me about what does your practice look like from a business development standpoint? I, as a marketing guy, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, what, what does it look like? When you, when you started, how did you get your initial few clients? And, and now today that you've got a mature, established practice, uh, what does it look like in terms of new client acquisition? Yeah, it's a great question. So I was given this advice and it was extremely solid advice. And that was to get really clear on your offer. Yeah. To get really clear on what it is that you are offering and how it is that you work with people. And if you get clear on that, then step two is to put it out there to the world, which requires, you know, a bit of courage. <laughs> and, you know, it certainly feels a bit vulnerable, especially if it's a tangent from what you've already been doing. Yeah. But when you reach out and when you communicate really clearly what you do and the value that you bring and and maybe step three there is don't just do it once, but keep doing it. Right. Do it consistently, do it broadly, stick with it over time. You'll be, I, I think most people will be pleasantly surprised that your name starts to come to mind, right? And it's never at the moment that you expect it. Correct. Uh, yeah. It takes a fair amount of faith, takes a fair amount of perseverance. But for me, success has really come with the, the intersection of those two, right? Faith, perseverance, and just believing that what I offer has great value mm -hmm. and doing the work that's required for others to see that value. Yeah. And the other thing I would tag on there is to make audacious offers and make audacious requests, right? So ask things of people mm -hmm. and offer things to people. Um, I get challenged with this all the time. There's a part of me that likes to stay small and play small. And, sure. and then I sometimes stumble upon opportunities where I say, you know, I really want to offer this. I can't imagine that they'd ever take me up on it, mm -hmm. but I really want to offer this. And then I have to deal with this internal struggle of, well, do I scale it down? Because I don't think they'll take me up on that offer. It's just too, it's right. It's mm -hmm. too much. Or do I make the offer and then we can talk through it. And if we scale it down, we scale it down, but maybe we, maybe we won't. Yeah. Or, you know, do I make that request? Um, and, uh, you know, I give one example, mm -hmm. my, the, the coaching companion, which we've now just invested years and years in, um, we put out a second edition. We've got this great resource center for it, all of that. And it's so much of my life's work now actually was an offer because it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with the concept. My colleague, Daniel Sherris came up with the idea yeah. and we were sitting there having lunch one day and it felt really audacious that I basically said, I would really love to write that with you. Could I be a co-author? Wow. Right. Yeah. And he was ecstatic. And, you know, but that takes putting yourself out there a little bit. What if he sure. had said, no, you know, it's really my idea. I'd really like to write <laughs> it myself. <laughs> oh, well, it, yeah. 
wouldn't have happened. I, I, I love that story. And I love this idea of, of the word you used, I think is a very good one. Audacious. Right. And, and, and with audaciousness comes the other word that you use, which is vulnerability, right? You do have to be willing, um, uh, willing to fail. And I'll even go so far as to say, um, willing to embrace failure because there's so, you know, we, we're all going to fail, right? It's, it's not a question of if you don't do anything, maybe you won't fail, but what is not doing anything, right? Uh, maybe, you know, that is the definition, in my opinion, of, of failure. It's not, it's not persevering and, and having setbacks. That's not failure. Failure is when you, when you stop trying, that's the failure. Um, but I love your I love your approach here because I think it's really important. And and you and you talked about both sides of this coin, which I think is really imperative. You talked about making the audacious request, the audacious ask, uh, and being willing to do that, knowing that sometimes you may get a no, and that's okay. But you you cannot get a yes if you don't ask. Right. Um, and if you put yourself in those positions enough, you will get those yeses, and you will have those breakthroughs with your business just like you did with the coaching companion. I think that's such a great story. But the other side of the equation, I think is equally as important and necessary. Uh, and that is being willing to be generous uh, and, and, to, and to give as well as ask, right? Make those audacious offers. Um, and, and maybe the audacious offer is just a new program that you're putting a, a high price tag on. It takes a lot of commitment and you're not sure if anybody wants it. And so you put it out there and, and they do or they don't, but that's a learning experience. Um, but, but yes, being able to make the ask, being able to give and not being, not being afraid of the bold decision, right? Regardless of what that looks like, I think is whether that's giving something of yourself or it's making a request or it's coming up with a new program, a new offer. Um, I think that's really important. That's good. Uh, and so that is it safe to say that those things uh, that you talked about, the, the faith and perseverance, the continuing to put yourself out there with some level of frequency into your target market, um, being willing to make the ask, being willing to give, being willing to do the audacious offer. Uh, and the key word you started all of this with was clarity, having crystal being crystal clear on what your offer is, who you serve and how you can help people putting all that together. That is, that's your recipe for business growth over these last eight years. Yeah, I would add, I'd put one tweak in there. Sure. I don't think I have, it has not been my intent at least, or, or really approach it has not been my strategy to put things out there to my quote unquote target market. It's been my okay. strategy to put things out there uh, to the world. And, you know, I don't have any megaphone or real marketing platform, to be honest with you. So to the world yeah. means to my world, which yeah. simply means to my connections, right? Sure. And so I, I sort of did not go through perhaps the typical marketing strategy of um, trying to like, you know, call an email list or something. I sure. just started sharing with all of my friends and family and connections and people that I had worked with over the years, what it was I was doing now. And, and I think I was extremely fortunate um, that opportunities emerged from mm -hmm. that very quickly. Well, so two notes there. First of all, being a marketing guy, I am a proponent of target marketing, but, but <laughs> there is an important but there. But the reason that I can, without 
doubt endorse and affirm your approach is because I can't tell you how many times I've talked to prospects who maybe haven't worked with me or decided not to work with me or clients that that have been non-compliant clients like we were talking about before um, where we've gone through the target marketing process and they do have clarity on who they want to reach but then they want to change their mind or they second guess it or they don't know if it's right and that paralysis by analysis which is a very real thing um, gets in their way and it prevents them from just putting it out in the marketplace and so the reason I can without doubt endorse and affirm what you're doing is because ultimately you took action and you put it out there and that that will always beat uh, trying to figure out the right target market and not putting it out there, right? I'd much rather have imperfect outreach and just get something meaningful out into the world as opposed to try to figure out, oh, let's try to make it perfect. Who's my target market? Well, I'm not sure. Well, this person first, let's prioritize them. Well, I have three. Can I have three? No, you can only have one. Well, do I really, you know, and just on and on and on and not do anything, right? Because what I found is, when you have the passion for it, you're clear about it, and you put it out in the marketplace, you do that long enough, you will be fortunate, right? There will be opportunities that come to you. And over time, you can always evolve. You can always, you know, narrow in on your target or, and just by the sheer nature of your work, your network is going to, is going to gravitate um, or bring on more people who, you know, want to hear your message. So I think it's, I think the takeaway that I heard there was just take action. I have a, a quote that I use all the time and action cures uh, fear, failure, and fat, hmm, you know, like and so that. if you're afraid of something, do it right. Uh, David Schwartz, the magic of thinking big, do the thing you fear uh, and the fear will disappear. Action cures fear, failure, you know, keep going, don't stop. And then fat that can, that can apply to all the stuff in our lives that we really shouldn't be doing. Uh, focus on the thing you need to take action on, take action, or it can focus on, you know, the things I'm dealing with now, which is I'm, I could stand to lose a few pounds. So I'm going to get, <laughs> going to take some action and get rid of some of that extra weight. Uh, I, I love these, these uh, nuggets that you're sharing. It's fantastic. Before we wrap up our time, um, a couple of, of, of last questions here. One thing that I'd love to hear you and, and, and you don't have to get into the nitty gritty of this, but, but feel free to share as much or as little as you care to. You, you made a statement earlier about the science, you were talking about the science of leadership. And I'd love to hear in your experience, working with leaders uh, from all over the place, probably at a lot of different levels, uh, and certainly from your career prior to being, you know, an entrepreneur in the consulting world, what is your perception and I think this can be beneficial for a lot of our listeners because all of our listeners are, are entrepreneurs or business owners, business leaders in their own right. And so we're all trying to lead, you know, a small team or a large team or a team of independent contractors or lead our clients or, you know, lead ourselves. Um, certainly from an organizational standpoint, we have leadership requirements. What's your perception of what makes a great leader? What uh, I know that's a loaded question that we could spend, you know, uh, days on. Um, but but in short order and, and th- in, cons- in, in consideration of our audience, right, on, you know, entrepreneurial leaders who are like you or like me trying to, you know, navigate their role as a coach or consultant. What would you say uh, in terms of what 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 should they be looking for? How could they measure their own leadership capabilities? What, what makes up a great leader? 
That is such a loaded question. I could answer that in so many ways. Um, there's a scientific perspective on it, which says that it really lies at the intersection of, of technical and social and emotional, right? Okay. Skills. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, I kind of want to dig in further than that, but, but there's something to that. It's this idea that we need leaders who are not just experts, right? And we need leaders who are not just highly sociable and good people, people. We need, and we don't, we need leaders who aren't only empathetic, right? We mm -hmm. need leaders that really have that trifecta that are smart and know what they're talking about and yet, right, can empathize with people and also can really draw out the best in other people and can make connections and can empower people. And that's really, hmm. I, I have invested a lot of time over the past five or six years now, not just coaching, but also teaching leaders to coach. Ah, so yes. I, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to say that leaders in today's operational environment, which mm -hmm. is incredibly unstable and uncertain and volatile and all of that. Right. The, my experience has been that the best leaders can be great coaches. They know how to empower other people. Right. They know how to not just solve everybody else's issues, but really to help people learn and to grow and to own their accomplishments. They know how to help other people own their accomplishments, right? Which means that they're not just constantly giving advice and they're not just constantly yeah. giving recommendations, but they're really helping people think through what it is that they are going to do to execute on, right? The mission and the goals and the, the tasks that they have set before them. Right. So yeah, it's it's coaching skills, which seems very self-serving, or maybe I'm just <laughs> trying to work myself out of a job, right? Um, but yes, it, I I absolutely see a day where coaching is viewed not as an advanced skill for leaders, and this is the way I like to talk mm -hmm. about it, but it's a fundamental skill for leaders, and it's a fundamental skill that you're not necessarily taught. And, right. and yet you can learn it. It is so accessible mm. and and also so self-reinforcing that my experience is that when leaders start to coach, they never go back because they become far more effective, but also far more capable of managing things at their level instead yeah. of getting stuck in the weeds of the level at which their team needs to be operating. Um, that's fantastic. I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked the question, even though it was a loaded one, because there's a lot there. And um, just the trifecta piece, technical, social, emotional, paints a framework and gives a framework where that that is that's a tool. That framework is now a tool where I can look at how am I doing uh, with my organization or with a given client or a team. And I can ask myself, do I have technical proficiency in the way that I need to? Do I have the social uh, aptitude or ability with this particular group, right? These particular individuals, because in certain places, I'm very comfortable and others, maybe not. Uh, and then from the, from the emotional or empathetic side of things, am I, am I listening? 
right? Do I really understand where this person or this process is uh, versus where it needs to be? Or do I just, you know, want someone to snap their fingers and it change, right? Understanding that that's not the way things, not the way things work. Uh, that's, that's very, very useful. Um, with the last couple of minutes that we have, Carrie, um, I, I feel like I'm just extracting nuggets out of you. And, and that's, that's not my questions. It's you being willing to share so much valuable insight. So I'm going to ask you another, another insightful question, hopefully, uh, over your career, and this could be on the personal side, it could be on the professional side, uh, lessons learned. What what lessons or, or nuggets of wisdom would you share to our listeners or viewers that may be beneficial to them, regardless of who they are, where they are in their, in their journey as a coach or consultant or, or expert? Yeah, my biggest, my biggest lesson learned is embedded in the question itself. It's to treat everything as a learning experience. Mm. So when something goes great, I want to learn from it, right? I mean, my greatest successes I want to learn from. When something goes only okay, or even when it's a complete flop, I want (laughs) to learn just as much from that. And the result is that I almost never do the same thing twice. (laughs) Regardless, right? Yeah. 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 Or do the same thing the same way. I mean, I don't think I've ever like ever repeated a process in my entire professional (laughs) life, which drives my colleagues completely batty. Uh, But it's absolutely, I think, a key to my success, but also to my enjoyment. I never get bored. I'm constantly tweaking. I'm constantly trying things a little bit differently, sometimes a lot differently. And it, it comes from this place of everything's a learning experience. So no matter how it goes, I'm going to learn from it. Yeah, that's a great perception um, and a great perspective on business and life, frankly. Uh, I know that there's probably a lot of people listening or watching that would love to love to get a copy of The Coaching Companion, that would love to follow you or interact with you potentially. Maybe people who are leaders or have clients who are leaders that might be, uh, you know, have a referral opportunity for someone you to work with. How can people engage with you or follow you or or access uh, your world? Sure. Anyone can email me at carry at creatingopenspace.com. I'm quite generous with my time. I'm always willing to be a thought partner. So if you reach out to me, carry at creatingopenspace.com, I will often send you a link. You can just get time on my calendar and we can talk. You can go to coaching-companion.com for tons of great resources, buy the coaching companion, access our client resource center, lots of stuff there. I'm on Twitter at at C. Kemp Larson. I don't post to Twitter as much as I should, but hey, just saying that will make me do something today. <laughs> you can connect with me on LinkedIn too. Good, good. Excellent. Um Listen, Carrie, thank you so much for your expertise, your generosity with your time, right? I do appreciate and understand that it is the most valuable resource any of us have. Uh, so thank you again for being a guest here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for all the listeners and viewers out there, thank you for your time as well. I trust that it was valuable for you. I know that if you're paying attention, especially with a pen and paper, that uh, this was an experience you could learn a lot from. I certainly have. So for Consulting with Authority, uh, as always, I wish everyone the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. 
Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete the short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.